Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Seamus Smith, Chief Executive of JDX Consulting. JDX is a global leading specialist consulting business, delivering solutions for investment banks, financial market infrastructure, and technology partnership enablement. I'm delighted and honored to be the CEO of JDX, around 600 colleagues across the globe, delivering solutions for a number of world-class investment bank, financial market infrastructure, and technology providers. I've been in this role, since September of last year, so I had the unusual experience of becoming CEO during the pandemic, something I'm sure we'll touch on. But my background has mainly been in financial technology, retail payments, and banking. And again, we'll explore some of that later today. But most importantly, I'm so excited and delighted and honored to be part of the Inspiring Leadership Series, moderated and hosted by our very own Jonathan bowman Perks. And without further ado, I'll hand over to our host, Jonathan, over to you. Thanks, Seamus. And uh, it was lovely. You and I met a number of years ago in Windsor Castle, quite a lovely setting. Um, But also you were recommended as an inspiring leader and uh, as a CEO by your own team, which is always the way it tends to work when people ring me up and say, I'm inspiring. I want to be on your show. That's not how it works. Other people have got to recommend you. But Seamus, great to have you here. You've had a fascinating career in so many places like Sage and PayPal, Amex, GE Capital. And, um, and also a great career in the military in your spare time. God knows how you've managed to do it. And I'd love to hear a bit more about that. So would you begin by telling us a bit about um, perhaps where you are now and sort of that, that some of the things that you've mixed between the sort of the reserve uh, forces, uh, being an officer in the reserve forces and some of those jobs, and then take us right back after that to uh, what shaped you as a leader. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, as I said, I'm, I'm chief executive of a, of a fast growing business that operates in a really interesting international sector at the convergence of banking, uh, financial markets and technology. So mentally, uh, it's a really stimulating environment. There's so much change, so much disruption uh, uh, and increasing regulation around those spaces. It it really does make for a very interesting, fulsome and challenging, uh, but very rewarding agenda, I would say, particularly working with uh, a wide and diverse group of talented colleagues, as I mentioned earlier, across the globe. Um, I've always been very interested, uh, particularly by the dynamic of the uncertainty being driven by technology adoption, change and regulation. I think that the script uh, uh, nature of roles like this of the past has changed dramatically. And the leadership challenge really is, is managing uncertainties, dilemmas and prioritizing opportunities. And, and I really enjoy uh, the chance to work with teams to lead, create and deliver uh, around those dynamics. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, my, my career has generally been in, in financial services, uh, t- technology more latterly. Um, and that really, like most careers, was a complete accident. Um, I, I started working in, in the insurance division of the Automobile Association uh, at the very beginning of my career, principally because I'd run out of money having had a gap year after A-levels at college. So I can't claim any consideration or 
decisioning about my initial forays into career. And, and I think having gained a little bit of vocational knowledge, you know, my enthusiasm and curiosity uh, around leading and my desire uh, when I saw things that weren't right that could be made better really motivated me to get into uh, some form of leadership capacity. I would say very much in the early parts of my leadership career, certainly my enthusiasm was writing checks my ability could not cash, um, but, but I managed to you know, survive some of the pitfalls of that and, and, and really get into organisations, as you mentioned, GE Capital, uh, most notably, where leadership development and effectiveness was part of the DNA of the company. And it didn't matter at what level of seniority you worked at, you had to respect, understand and practice leadership models. And, and in fact, GE General Electric at the time uh, operated a, a, a very famous, uh, what was called initially a corporate university in Stanford, Connecticut. In fact, it was the world's first leadership uh, institution within an organization established in the, the late 40s, early 50s as GE went through the post-war boom and had to train its managers to, to really develop the company based on the demand it was experiencing at the time. And, and that really grew into a, a leadership academy for the company, a very world famous, well regarded uh, institution. I benefited from several visits to that academy during my time at GE. And, and I think as I progressed latterly in my career, I realized that whatever subject matter expertise I might glean in, in the various roles and, and organizations I was working in, the currency that would trade me for my, my career was leadership. And, and, and I had to lean in very strongly to understanding myself, first and foremost, uh, but then understanding uh, and practicing and becoming a lifelong student of the art of leadership. Because I, I do certainly have a philosophy that, that it is, it's a lifelong learning journey, leadership. There's no mastery. There's just a continued approach of learning, practice, learning, practice, reflection, learning, practice. And, and I think that's the cycle that I've enjoyed. Uh, I think it, I find it, it stimulates the mind. Um, and, um, you know, it, despite having challenging elements to it, of course, as every leader will know about, it can be just the most euphoric, rewarding experience when leadership creates a, a positive outcome. Uh, and, you know, you might not be at the front when that is happening, but if you can uh, be honest with yourself about your role and what you did to create that scenario, it's a very rewarding and fulfilling experience. So, so I think in summary, being a lifelong student uh, of the art and practice of leadership is, is, is probably where I'm hanging my hat now, regardless of what I know about banking or financial technology, et cetera. Yeah, and, and um, take us, that's a, a fascinating journey. And I, I do love that one about learning and practice. Uh, take us back to young, your young life uh, when, when you were a wee lad and what was, uh, who influenced you and that kind of stuff. And also, if you could touch on your your time in the military and how that's um, impacted positively on your leadership in business and how your leadership in business has impacted positively your your leadership of reserve forces, uh, soldiers and officers. Thank you, Jonathan. I think uh, young Seamus Smith was a very energetic, uh, very noisy individual, uh, but who was intently curious about things. Um, but I was very guided, my energy was channeled by the strong values that my parents had and, and shared with me and expected me to, to exhibit. And I was blessed with the unusual cocktail, you'll read it from my name, Seamus Smith, Irish mother, English father. Uh, my mother hails from the west coast of Ireland. Uh, she was a 
uh, a, a strongly principled uh, woman, still is, um, who taught me the essences of gratefulness, humbleness, uh, and, and my pleas and thank yous were well practiced from a very early age in a number of different languages, actually, as we as I grew up over the years. But and that sense of empathy uh, around the well-being of others, caring for others. Uh, my mother always has been, even now she's in her late 70s. She's always talking about looking after the older people. Uh, and she she was doing that from a very young age when I, when I was very young. So, so this sort of sense of empathy values um, was, was super important. Um, my father, who's sadly no longer with us now, but he was the, the son uh, of a long line of naval um, uh, servicemen, uh, officers, and he himself spent time working at the Institute of Naval Medicine. And again, he had strong values around purpose, discipline, and respect. Um, and, and I think those things resonated with me. And as you said, uh, whilst I enjoyed uh, the various adventures of my professional career, uh, I was very much attracted by the leadership values that I saw in the armed forces generally, particularly the UK uh, armed forces. And um, I managed to find a, a neat way to blend both worlds, which was to carry on with my professional career whilst also establishing a career as a reserve army, uh, or initially infantryman, and then latterly uh, an infantry officer. And, you know, I learned a lot about myself during that process, um, perseverance through adversity, uh, ad astra, uh, and, uh, and, and then uh, the, the leadership values that I experienced firsthand from my experiences in officer training culminating in time at Sandhurst and, and, the, and the notion that still resonates with me very strongly, which is serve to lead, which is the motto of the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst. And I, I just found that actually when you peel uh, the onion, military values and leadership are, are not about barking orders at people and getting them to do jobs. They're much more than that. And and they have a strong basis in values, a strong basis in the welfare of others. Um, I can recall several experiences where, you, you know, when, when um, after an exercise or military activity, there's a, a feeding facility to, to have a well-earned meal after a strenuous exercise or, or activity, you know, the soldiers eat first, the officers eat last. And, and I can remember being on exercise with, you know, other uh, nations, military, and the, the officers would go first and get the pick of the food and, and then the, the soldiers would come in second and, and take whatever was left. And, you know, I, I know where I'd rather be. I'd rather be in an institution where its leaders look after its people and, and practice those values and, and that notion of serve to lead. And, and I think I saw a great parallel and, and I unashamedly plagiarised some of what I consider to be the best of my military leadership experience. Um, and applied that in the right way in my professional career, but frankly also took some of what I was doing in my professional career and, and, and dropped that into what I was doing in, in, in the military. And, um, you know, I think after 13 years as a reservist, I was firstly a better person for that experience. Um, I, I learned a lot about myself and other people, uh, but I would say I think I've become a better professional leader because of my experience in, in the reserves. Now, that's not to say everybody needs to be in the military reserves to learn something about leadership. But I think what it says is have a parallel interest or some other non-vocational development that you practice where you glean a different perspective to the one that you are principally doing in a nine to five, eight to six, seven to whenever uh, hours of the day. Uh, and, and I think it's that... Um, uh, additional perspective that's really powerful and it, and it helps give you a, a more rounded view of yourself and your leadership.
Yeah, that, that, that's so great. And, and also, you've done some of the toughest stuff that goes on in the military um, and, and been through different selection processes to get to where you've got to. So I have great respect for what you've achieved. So thank you for sharing that. Um, with all the experiences that you've had uh, in your career and, and also in your armed service, um, what, what have been so, one of the proudest moments or some of the proudest moments and what have been some of the darkest moments and what did you learn from both imposters and treat them just the same? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, look, I think when I reflected on proudest moments, I, I, I think the things that really make me, you know, just stand an inch or two taller and, 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 and shoulders back just a little bit are, are moments when I've made other people really happy or feel really good about themselves whether that's you know watching my parents when they turned up for my passing out parade at Sandhurst or um uh, you know making them grandparents but you know and, and seeing the joy on, on their faces and I and I think you know in a professional environment where collectively we've achieved an outcome where there's just an un, unequivocal sense of euphoria happiness and pride in the room across a group of people. And, and I think those moments, and there's been several, you know, through the years, those are the things that uh, I feel most proud about. I think they motivate me when I'm going through darker periods because you try and remember those times when, you know, you did get to an outcome where it made a lot of people feel good about themselves and what they've done. Uh, so those are certainly you know, the, the, the proudest things. I think uh, on the darker side, you, you know, there's no question that, um, watching a loved one deal with a potentially life-threatening illness. It was the most extraordinary out-of-body experience and, and toughest experience I've, I've ever had. Um, I've accumulated um, in recent years a number of grey hairs and, and they're nothing to do with my work or, or the challenges I've had there, but they have uh, been, you know, my wife had a serious brush with, with breast cancer, which it, you know, was, was very tough to deal with. Yeah. And, you know, it was really dark because you couldn't control that. You, you were not uh, the subject of, of the illness. It was somebody that you, you loved very much and, and cared for. And you absolutely had no control. You know, whatever your job type, your experiences in life, you, you, there's nothing you could do. But what, what really kept me going through the dark times and just reminded me, you know, to always look for other people, my wife's stoicism, uh, uh, attitude uh, and the way she conducted herself through what was a very debilitating experience was so humbling uh, and I I reflected on that and I still do an awful lot and in fact in a very small way and this is very minor but um, despite my many adventures and experiences of life over the years I never broke a bone in my body until about three years ago when a freak accident getting the 702 out of Isha station to Waterloo uh, I had a slip on the stairs uh, and I broke my fibula in two. Oh, wow. And, and it wow. was a, quite a bad break. And um, I was three weeks away from enjoying one of my uh, passions, helicopter skiing in British Columbia. Um, I, I had a half marathon to run a few weeks later at the end of February. And, and, uh, and I was due to go mountain biking with some friends. And as I was lying on my chest, having my, my foot put into a big cast, mentally I'm starting to think of all those things that are just going to evaporate now as a result of this uh, little accident but you know when I was lying there I thought I know what people are going to expect me I know how they're going to expect me to react and they're going to expect me to be 
you know, maybe a bit angry and, and a bit upset and a bit self-centered about the things I can't do. But I absolutely, I reflected on how my wife dealt with her illness. And my first commitment was, I'm going to try and impress my family and deal with it in the way that she dealt with her illness. And I was inspired by her. And it wasn't until seven or eight weeks later, my, my daughter, who's now uh, 18, she was a few years younger then, but uh, she said to me, Dad, you know, um, can I just say, I think you've handled all this really well. And I never needed any other validation of my behavior through that. that that's it. The, 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 the inputs that it got into her saying those few words um, really uh, were, were amazing. So, so I think, you know, just a small lesson in taking something from, as you've observed someone else and, and really trying to, you know, ingest that and apply it to yourself um, was, uh, was super powerful for me. Uh, wow, well, thank you for sharing that. I'm really hoping that your wife will continue to be in remission from cancer. Thank you. And, and, and I, I, I do think we take a lot from difficult circumstances. I can't remember whether you and I have talked privately about this, but uh, I admire my, my two brothers, uh, 165 and 163. Graham at 65 got stabbed by someone who's now gonna be in court, um, who tried to break into his house, burn his family alive with 40 liters of fuel and then stabbed Graham to death. And, and Graham was minutes away from dying. He had three life-saving operations because he got through four vital organs and he lost 40 units of blood, went down to 40 beats a minute. But Graham's been very stoical about it. He's a past president of British Plastic Surgeons. And he goes, you know, I I'm lucky. He said, I'm going to live. He said, but four weeks ago, our other brother, David, has been diagnosed with terminal cancer and David won't live. And, and he will die in the next few days, few weeks. We don't know how long it's going to be. But I take from both brothers, great um, example, Graham, who, who looks upon how lucky he's been in his life and, and has, is coming back. It'll take him two years to recover. But David, who even though he knows that almost last night he almost died and he's made it through to today, lives each day as it comes. He's in hospital, his wife's with him and, and his, his grown up daughter. But having a conversation with someone who's about to die and they're still cracking jokes and he's still, you know, he's still saying, Do you know, I spent the last two years doing 10,000 steps a day. That's a complete waste of time. I should, I should have done something completely different. But he goes, no, it wasn't really. He said, but, but having those conversations with someone when you know it might be the last time you talk to them, it's, uh, it's a tough one. Mm. But, but it, it's made me really treasure every day, whatever happens. And when I start thinking, oh, this is tough or that stuff, I go, it's not. I'm alive. I'm not dying of terminal cancer. No one stabbed me or whatever it might be. I'm very lucky. And I think we can get, as you've alluded to, caught up in ourselves. And I think it's the example we set in the toughest of times that is inspired, and this series is about inspiring leadership. I think Graham and David are both inspiring. I think your wife is massively inspiring. And I think even when you've broken your, your legs so badly, it, it's like, I think the Stoics talk about having a good death as well as a good life, because we're all gonna die. So let's have a good death as well as a good life and, and not die having never lived. I don't know what, what thoughts come to mind. That's quite deep, Seamus. But... Yeah, it is, it is. But, you know, as the pandemic has reminded us, the realities and frailties, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's blown away any notion of us being, you know, super beings and 
in control of our own destinies. And, and as you said, you know, we, we're defined by our actions in those toughest of times. Um, and the reality is, despite the tragedies, despite the many challenges and, and the issues, there, there were so many chinks of light that, that are reflected by people's behaviours, how they've modified attitudes. You know, um, I think elements of the pandemic have accelerated some of our awareness and empathy for climate change uh, development and, and, and action. And that's, that's not a bad thing. I think it's accelerated some areas of international collaboration. And, and at a localised level, I, I've seen so many and participated in some examples of where you know, neighbours start helping each other out and mm. doing things for each other. And, and those are good things, you know, things that we have probably been a bit too busy to think about um, in, in pre-pandemic times. And uh, being reminded of those frailties, um, you know, is a, is a good thing for the human race, I think. It, it is. It is. And, and also, I think, as we accumulate experience from mistakes, um, what's that lovely saying someone said you know what I've I've learned so much from my mistakes I think I'm going to make a whole lot more because I learned so much from them but thinking back from what you've learned now at whatever age you're at uh, and going back and meeting the young Seamus and by the way mother from the west coast my my wife Lee her family all come from Bundoran in Donegal I don't know whether your mum was from that part or further south. Uh, Sligo. No, she's from Sligo. She's Sligo. Yeah. 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 Baldwin Mountain and Ross's Point on the coast there. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there a few times uh, for clan gatherings uh, of the Irish clan. And when they're all together, that's an example of everybody speaking at the same time and no one listening. It's just joy. It really is. But um, I think in life, yeah. uh, You, you, someone said that you, Seamus, have humanity, humility, and humor. And, and I certainly think we've we've got to keep the humour in in these in these tough times as much as 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 being serious about things. But yeah, what's a bit of advice you'd give the young Seamus? Um, I'm not sure young Seamus would have listened that much to somebody <laughs> like me, but I think I would definitely wanted to um, have reinforced the notion that things are rarely as they seem. And and the reason I say that is because you know people tend to react very quickly two things if, if you look at say social media the social media phenomenon that has grown and become part of all of our daily lives pretty much the last 10 years but for all the good that it can do uh sometimes what, what you see is people reacting to things immediately sometimes in quite a visceral way um that could create a lot of negative energy and and and, and angst and and, and and not be a positive thing and you know things aren't really as they seem and so being just just asking one or two check questions, just being certain about things, not being reactive. You know, the, my uh, West Coast of Ireland roots do, do give me, you know, uh, an energy level and a, and, a, and, a, and a personality where I need to manage um, my reaction to certain things. Uh, I can be emotive, um, but I've learned the power of being less so uh, over time, so not, not losing it completely. Um, and, you know, there are times and places where, you know, being emotional and, 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 and having energy is, is a good thing. But, but I think just that, that, that just check, check question, check, check moment, check the fact. Uh, that would probably be right up there um, with advice I would have tried to impart to young James. Yeah, that, great advice. Great advice. And uh, still relevant for me, I think, these days. We'll go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, beginning with the moral question, MQ. Um, you know, your true north, as we call it. Um, 
and and your morals, your integrity, your values, very strong from your mum and and from your father with this naval experience. Interesting that both our fathers were in the navy. Uh, my my father was fleet air arm. He was a fast jet pilot in the fleet air arm. And um, but what morals and values, if you were to pick your top three, do you tend to live by? And they've they've been your true north uh, during times that good and bad. Yeah, I think. Um... You know, this notion of, of being authentic and trying not to present yourself as something or someone that you're not, um, that, 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 is, that is really important to, to, to me. And, and I think, again, it does go right back to parental influences um, and, and, and not being distracted by immaterial things or, 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 or superficial things in, in a person or a situation. Um, and, and I think honesty, um, you know, being honest with yourself, first of all, um, but, but also, you know, being in a situation where if you were observing yourself in a room, you wouldn't be cringing at what you were saying. You know, you'd be nodding your head saying, no, that, that is congruent with actions and words and, and, and behaviours. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think uh, the last one would be this sense of empathy um, about others. Um, I, I think uh, self-obsession when it becomes narcissism is uh, very dangerous and, and can be very destructive and sadly in many leadership eulogies it's been worshipped that uh, you know, we celebrate the individual rather than, than what they've actually enabled, done for others or facilitated and, and I think you know, leadership, yes, it's about an individual, but fundamentally it's a team sport. Uh, yes, you've got to lead yourself and you've got to look after yourself and you've got to be disciplined to a degree and et cetera, but it's, it's then what you, what, what, what you create, what, what, what emanates from you and how that resonates and impacts with other people. And, and, and so if you're going to do that relatively effectively, you need to be able to get in the mind of people that you're working with around and for, um, and, and that, that sense of empathy, I think, is quite important. Yeah, I really love what you say. And that takes me on to the next one, which is PQ, uh, meaning and purpose, purpose question. And, you know, living a life of a vocation, a calling, and indeed leading your organisation, your JDX Consulting. So it's a mission, purpose-driven organisation. Uh, what, what, what does it mean to you about living your life on purpose rather than off purpose? And how, how have you adjusted when you've found yourself drifting off purpose? Yeah, I, th I think I've, I've been very fortunate in that uh, for, I would say, 95% of certainly my professional career, I've, I've done things that I've believed in. So, you know, I believe in the mission and the purpose of what we do at JPX because we do some pretty great work to support our clients and help their businesses be better, stronger, etc. And and as a, you know, I was explaining this to uh, a young um, a niece of mine not so long ago. She said, oh, you know, Uncle Shane, what, what is your new job exactly? And I was trying to explain investment banking, financial market infrastructure, and technology management to a teenager, a young teenager. I thought, well, let me just say it like this: we, we kind of help other people, so it's what we do. And then there's lots of people that we do stuff. With. And she just looked at me like, ah, that sounds pretty good. And I thought, yeah, you know what? <laughs> so I can believe in that. You know, when we were, when I was at Sage, I enjoyed my time immensely there, uh, five great years. And that is a company very centered around 
helping small and medium enterprises be better tomorrow than they are today. And you know what? It's not a bad mission either, actually. Um, and you could get behind that. You could believe that. You could qualify the benefits and the impact that SMEs have on you know the UK economy or and, and others internationally, and therefore organisations that make it their mission to support those businesses. I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, at the Automobile Association, albeit I work principally in insurance and financial services, essentially that business had a mission of, you know, helping motorists stranded at the roadside, and 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 that that mission permeated the values and cultures of the organisation because it was a very collegiate, help you out type of organisation, and, and and even in the military, of course, you know well that you know that whole it is about a mission driven organisation, and you know with. Uh, clarity around its purpose and its values and its behaviors and expectations and you know those are all fairly transparent so um uh, i i think i benefited very much from being in and around those environments and and having a sense of belief and purpose uh, is really important and and then i think I, i've been influenced by things i know i can never do so so i where i live here in in isha we we were lucky enough to uh, acquire the the house we live in about 12 years ago, um, we had a vision for the house and how we'd like it to be, but it was at the point of falling down. And, and it was a, a question of a serious restoration, a really serious or a demolition start again. And we chose the restoration uh, route. Um, and we talked with architect and, 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 and master builder and other trades people and watching those individuals go about their trades and bringing the vision to life. I, I was kind of in awe of, of them and their skills. And, you know, I used to make myself available on the odd occasion for a bit of manual laboring to, you know, I'd ask the builders if, you know, do they want a hand to move the bricks from over there to over here? Because that's pretty much the limit of my uh, building uh, skills. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, some, some scaffolders turned up to, to put the scaffolding up outside the, the house and, you know, a rather large individual approached me in a fairly robustious way and said, uh, I'm looking for the boss. Uh, and and I, I just looked and pointed at the master builder who was over there because he would direct the scaffolders in terms of what they were doing. And our builder obviously had great joy in saying, well, no, that's the guy who's paying, who's paying the bills. Um, and, and they were quite surprised to see me <laughs> carrying a, a rack of bricks from, from A to B and, and not doing a very good job of it, I would add as well. But, uh, you know, I think... I think so, so being in awe of that, I, I think I'm in awe of you know people who can create, deliver, make something happen, and knowing that I wasn't going to be able to manifest that through a building or you know physical construction route, but being around in an organisation long enough to say you made a difference, and it was mostly positive, because there's always going to be some that would say oh yeah we didn't like the way you did that or this, but you know and I can look most people in the eye and say during my career I've been around long enough to make a difference and it's been mostly positive. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the copy, paste, repeat on that dynamic is important to me. Um, I, I want and need to be around long enough to make a difference, mostly positive. And, and I think if you can qualify that to yourself, honestly, um, you know, that gives me a sense of mission and purpose. And whilst I'm not building houses, uh, I'm making a difference in a positive way. Uh, and and that, that's fulfilling for me. Yeah, it's great. And, and I love the analogy and certainly... Uh the building one i'm sure there's the story about the falling brick but i'll tell that another day um going from purpose and meaning on to an area that's been important to you health well-being mental health and physical health and you're also part of the ceo's inspiring leadership forum which i do value your contribution with about another 30 ceos 
including the Lord Mayor of London and explorers and generals and various people. And um, we were discussing recently um, th this whole area of the impact of the pandemic, or now actually the scientists that I know are saying, in fact, I was talking to a very interesting lady who runs the whole COVID uh, side for the UK. She's co the coordinator, she's a, a biologist. She's gonna be on the podcast too. Lady who began with no O levels and A levels, and now she's the, she's the scientist in charge of it all, but a phenomenal lady. She was saying we should view it as an endemic. It's always going to, in your lifetime and my lifetime, COVID will always be with us. Um, hopefully we'll be able to get it to the state of like flu where we can have a, a vaccination for the older people and others can cope with it, but it will always be with us. So don't deceive yourself otherwise, uh, whether we have wave three, four, whatever that comes. Um, but, but you and the others were talking about how important it is, particularly in the endemic. To, to look after people's mental health because the boundaries have dropped and people are working seven days a week. They can work 18 hours a day if they wished. Um, I, I know there are times when I'm working far too many hours. Um, so what's your tips and advice about your own physical and mental health and, and what perhaps is your routine? What, what do you, what's your real rituals that you do to help your physical health and, and your mental health and keep yourself, apart from when you're breaking yourself, uh, in good shape. Thank you. I, you know, I do have a, a personal philosophy around the physical health, uh, and, and I think it's driven by, you know, I enjoy the experiences I'm able to have, be them, be they on a pair of skis, on a mountain bike, or on a tennis court, or, or, or running through, through woods, or what have you. But climbing a mountain, maybe. Um, and I've always not subscribe to the notion that oh it's got to stop as you get a bit older and actually by you know having a basic philosophy uh, you know I'm not an athlete but you can have a philosophy of conditioning yourself um, and, and keeping yourself in reasonable physical condition and, and of course my military experience has helped me with that tremendously you know the importance of fitness particularly through the infantry and the importance of fitness from a leading by example perspective because again you know the, the British army has a lead by example philosophy it's very strong uh, and even as a major, you know, when the company did physical training exercises, the, the company commander was, you know, at or near the front and demonstrating his or her uh, personal fitness and, and how they made efforts and, you know, demonstrating leading by example. And, and again, I can remember another nation's uh, subunit of, of troops were attached to a unit that I was working with. And we had a physical training exercise and of course, I was on the parade ground first, as the officer should be, and um, you know started the run with the heavy packs, and 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 the other nations' uh, military uh, members commented very strongly, uh, "What on earth was an officer doing out with 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 the, with the troops running and, and party exercise?" Because in their world, the officers didn't do that; they did something else which didn't involve exerting themselves quite as much. And again, you know, welcome to the British Army. That's just our philosophy. That's what officers do. They lead from the front, not from the back. So, so I think that has helped me. Um, so a sense of adventure, those military experiences. But I'm really pleased that, you know, the issue of mental health has surfaced. And again, I, I do believe it's one of the positives that have come out. It's been accelerated by the pandemic environment. And that this notion that, you know, it's just about how many runs a week you do or what you're physical watch or device tells you that you've done in terms of calorie burn. It's not about that. It, it, it is about that mental uh, wellness and, and well-being. And 
you know, I'm, I'm pleased, as I say, that the pandemic has prompted that as a front and centre agenda for, for, for employee value propositions and, and, and what it means to be, um, you know, working uh, today. And, and I think from my own perspective, you know, in addition to the physical rituals of, of just making sure you make time, because it is too easy to engage, particularly electronically on devices and be always on 24-7. And the notion of presenteeism has to stop. In fact, there was, a, there was an interesting article, I think it was on LinkedIn uh, recently, where a, a manager at HSBC and their compliance function uh, was, was working, overworking and, and experienced tragically a, a heart attack. Um, now, I believe he, he survived, but he told the story of the first things going through his mind were how he was going to explain to his boss how the project's going to be laid and all the rest of it. And then obviously, the longer he was lying on the bed, you know, on a ventilator and wide up, he realised the futility of, of that and that actually he'd allowed himself to, to physically, you know, become susceptible to coronary and other diseases, I'm sure, and, and then resolve to do something about it. And I think it became quite a phenomenon on social media as an example of, look, that's what overwork does to you. Uh, and, and so so I think walking back from that, you know, having a baseline of physical um, activity. And, and I think as a leader, you know, that extends to, you know, in JDX, we, we have a, a, a great array of social and sporting activities. You know, there's, a, there's, there's netball, there's hockey, there's, there's football, there's rugby, uh, and there's all sorts of other things going on. And encouraging, you know, it's okay to say, right, it's four o'clock, right, we're going to go out for a run or you know, even doing that virtually and, and recording it and having some fun with it. I mean, a culture that embraces all that, I think is really important. And then I think on the mental well-being, you know, it's got to start from the top. And, and actually, when I turned up early on, and, and despite the fact in my first few weeks, I thought I was going to be in New York in October and then Singapore in November, and then that all went away very rapidly as the pandemic exerted its grip. And I began to think, wow, look, however good my thoughts on strategy or positioning for the business or other things we might do, um, I, I got the leadership team together and just simply asked the question, look, I, I'm not sure we're doing enough about wellness for colleagues. What can we do? And, and you know, we then, credit to the team, we came up with in a very short period of time, a wellness package and, and a substantive, meaningful one, you know, not, not, not just a wallpaper exercise, but real things that made a real difference to colleagues. And we, we got convicted about it and we communicated and delivered it in Asia and Europe and, and the US to all colleagues. And we said, oh, by the way, tell us what else we can do to support. And so it, it demonstrated what I thought was quite a substantive action. It, and, and for me as a leader with the team, you know, it, we, we could make a difference like that quite promptly and quickly. And it made us all actually feel quite good uh, about the leadership journey we were on. And, responding to the unknown, you know, but focusing on wellness was super important. So I think it, it does need that leadership example. And actually, more widely, there's been several examples in, in my related field. I think the CEO and founder of Monzo, you know, very successful challenger financial technology group, uh, sort of said, look, I, I'm, I've got to step away because my mental health is just not coping with some of the demands and the challenges. And firstly, it takes a lot of bravery to do that. Um, and, and the more people we have that can be open about those conditions, um, ask for help, get help, get better, um, I think it's a really good thing um, and, and, and super important. And, and it's not a, you know, it's not an initiative. It, it, it's got to be baked into how an organisation thinks and acts. Um, you, you, are, you are spot on, Seamus. And uh, 
when you and the other CEOs were talking about some of the key things that are going on, and we've got the next session, which I hope you can be on about digitization strategy and, and uh, technology, they said that the things that were most important to them now in the endemic was one, digitization of their business, two, ESG, three was mental health and well-being, uh, and four was uh, cultural uh, diversity, equality, and inclusion. And in fact, that's the next bit, the cultural intelligence aspect of the Inspiring Leadership Compass. And, and what's been your experience of uh, really embracing um, the, the call that's been for greater diversity, equality, and inclusion, Black Lives Matter, a whole range of things where we need to adapt to different cultures and understand people from different backgrounds, different languages, uh, different orientation, whatever it might be. What's your experiences? Yeah, I, again, influenced by you know experiences and chapters in my career. You know, I, I had a very enjoyable chapter of my career working at American Express. It's a globally respected brand. Um, you know, uh, and I, I was responsible for a large portion of the business across quite a wide geographical spread of Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And and my job essentially was to develop the company's business in some to the US exotic markets and, and newer markets. And in order to do that, we had to really connect culturally as well as in a business sense with the countries we were doing business in. And I learned a great deal. Uh, you know, I did business in Israel and Turkey and South Africa and uh, elsewhere, um, Nordics. It gave you a great sense of perspective of the spectrum of cultural diversity and how, you know, you took something like an American Express brand and product set, but you know, altered, adjusted, and positioned them accordingly relevant to that market and the consumers or businesses that produce the products. And, and it was very powerful to me, you know, that cultural diversity that you can make something different work in different places by being flexible, adaptable, and it's not a copy-paste of what you're doing, say, in the US and just dropping it in somewhere. It's a bit more nuanced um, and tailored than that. So, so that, and, and as a result, I was connecting with people and brought people into the teams where it was very diverse culturally, uh, racially, and, 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 and diverse by, by, by sex as well, which is great. Um, and that, that, that resonated with me quite, quite strongly. And then later in my career, um, when I was running a, a global sort of payments and banking organization that was centered in financial technology, um, actually I came across a situation where th there was hardly any diversity. And, and immediately to me, uh, that, was a, that was a bit of a red flag. And I, I went out of my way to firstly focus on more uh, women in leadership positions in the division that I was running and to encourage diversity in our technology development teams. Um, because, you know, there's some well-documented examples in the technology space. And I will refer to something that's very public because it's out there, you know, the situation in Uber where, you know, there was some cultural... Um, uh, issues and challenges manifested in that business because it was driven by a very hard-charging leader and founder who created a lot of mini-selves in the business and it, and, it, and it wasn't diverse and it and it came unstuck at a certain point in its development. Now, I'm not criticising, I'm just observing that's not something I want to do in businesses I work in. And so in that example in the financial technology business, I was able to create a much more diverse leadership team and unsurprisingly, creativity, productivity, collaboration went up exponentially. And I was very humbled um, at quite an amusing episode where 
Um, I received some email correspondence like you do as a busy CEO. A, a lot of it you refer to as junk mail. You look at the heading and you think, I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to open it. It's not worthy um, because you just get so much. And um, there was, a, I, I got a nudge from one of my colleagues to say, did you, did you ever get that email from the Financial Times, by the way? Um, no, sorry, what one was that? Was that one of the spam ones I deleted there? You, you have been nominated in the top 50 global leaders of male champions of women in business. Just, oh, just, you know, that's and, nice. And, and I thought, oh, I, I remember seeing something last week was junk mail, so I deleted it, put it in the bin. And, and, you know, it was a very humbling experience because it, it was my team that had, that had kind of seen this and thought, you know, Seamus is championing genuine efforts to increase diversity and in particular uh, promote and appoint, you know, women leaders in business. And, you know, again, it's just uh, quite a proud moment, uh, yeah, well, a very humbling one and quite a comical one because I've put all the emails in the junk folder. But, <laughs> but, you know, I was super proud of that, not just for me, but for the recognition of what we've created as a team to, to make something happen. And, um, you know, I encourage everyone uh, the importance of power and the relevance of diversity inclusion is super important in today's yeah. environment. Oh, couldn't agree more and really from from cultural intelligence question down to emotional and social intelligence question which you know has been talked about a lot and is a key component what have you found you've learned because it, it, it's it is learning skills they're skills that can be acquired some some find it harder than others but but what have you done to learn about good listening skills and uh, uh, connecting with people and really intuitively picking up somatically when someone says yeah i'm fine Seamus and you go no i'm not i'm not getting that um, mm. i'm not getting you fine at all what's really going on oh well this is happening so how have you developed that finger spitzgefühl as the germans call it fingertip feel for emotional and social intelligence Seamus um, I, th I think Jonathan, I, I would say, you know, I have some, some helpful DNA, uh, particularly on my mother's side, that, that, that has given me, you know, a fortunate head start in some of that. I think that gregarious, empathetic, outgoing nature helps with some of that. Um, but, but I do think it needs to be countered and complemented with a, first of all, a strong understanding of self. So, so knowing yourself and, and knowing you know, I, th I think the, the watch out for me has always been uh, gravitating towards like-minded people um, and having to check and balance around diversity and making sure my engagements are as much with non-like-minded people as well as like-minded people. And that is a challenge in a leadership environment, particularly when you're new. You know, we subliminally or even sometimes overtly seek uh, you know, reinforcement, validity, we're seeking assurance uh, on ourselves. And, and, and so doing that across a diverse uh, pool of, uh, of colleagues and um, co-workers is important because you, you will get diverse feedback and, and input. Um, so, so I think that strong sense of self, um, uh, as well as some, uh, you know, how you built uh, DNA uh, type pieces. And then thirdly, the sort of practice and learning and development because I, I do believe you know like any talent you might be a talented natural footballer but you're never going to get to the elite list if you if you don't train and work really hard and and, and that means you know practicing and reflecting an awful lot on, on on who you are and how you do things yeah now talking of uh, emotional intelligence uh, and observation i notice in your bookcase behind you 
um, a, a, some medals, B, starting with Mark Y, and C, a book by some dodgy individual called Inspiring Leadership, which you did, I'm sure, just to take the mickey out of me, but put you, you, because I gave that to you about 10 years ago, I think. You but, did. Uh, um, tell me about the medals. Forget about my book. Tell me about the medals. Oh, I don't know. They're just, uh, thanks for turning up uh, in the military medals. So no, they're not. I'm, I'm proud nonetheless, and uh, they come out once a year on remembrance. Yeah. Uh, now, so uh, I no longer wear a, a uniform formally, but proud to sport tie. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they they look, they just remind me if I look at them. Actually, what you can't see in front of me, mostly they're pictures of my. Makes me feel small because my grandfather um, uh, got nine medals, uh, and they were real medals, campaign medals from the Second World War, the Korean War, mentioned in dispatches. You know, long wow. conduct. So, um, you know, he had a, a much more illustrious career than me, but they just. They're tokens that remind me of, of good experiences. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, what else do you do with memorabilia? Um, and um, But the books are important, Jonathan. And uh, I think when we first reconnected, um, actually, it was on the bookshelf. <laughs> and uh, I've got one of these books up there, you know, and we, you did, you wrote in it, it was about 11 years ago, I think, actually. But... Um, but yeah, you know, it is important to read, reflect, and I do, I do subscribe, you know, I buy newspapers and, and I read books because I find my digital absorption is just off the chart with particularly uh, my work and now our personal lives. Mm. You know, you run, you don't go to a bank branch, you run, you use the app and everything is done digitally. And I, particularly during the pandemic, it's been tough because I've noticed that I, you know, my eyes are straining and, mm -hmm. and, and I just like to have a chair where I get away from the screen, I sit in the chair and I read and, and I read a book or a newspaper and I, I just find that helps me. Yeah, I think it's, it's very good. And I like soaking the bath or sitting and chatting with my wife with a copy of The Week, which is just I don't want to have too much news and media. In fact, my very first thing I do when I get up as part of my routine is I listen to The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday as an audio because I'm dyslexic. So my my, my learning is I, I read about or listen to about 120 books, audio books a year. I'm just a, um, a crazy guy about that. But it's only so I can pass it on and, and accumulate and make connections between things. But I do find by not focusing on the news and all the bad stuff, that does help my own mental health, I find. When I'm too absorbed with the news and things I have no control over, but they're not going right, and of course they tend to feed your fears anyway. I don't find that good for mental health. Talking about coping with things, resilience, RQ is the next one. Coping with adversity, setbacks and disappointments. And from a man who spent his time humping around with incredibly heavy rucksacks and, and doing crazy things which are very scary and normal people don't do uh, in your military days, or even from the uh, skiing off the side of a mountainside, having been dropped off by a helicopter. Um, you, you are a latter-day James Bond. You do realise this. Um, how do you how do you sort of cope with resilience uh, and your tips on resilience and adversity? Yeah, look, I just I think uh, having a zest for life, you know, is important, and wanting to optimise the experiences that you can have in life, uh, and, and and testing and challenging yourself in the process. Um, you know, it's just important to me. I, I like to try and do that, not to the point of you know, killing myself or damaging others in the process, but but, but giving myself testing um, objectives or activities to do. I, I, I get a, I get a, you know, a relative kick out of, out of doing that, um, those sorts of things. And, you know, less extreme now, um, I'm, I'm of a certain age, but, you know, I enjoy, for example, 
being in the hills uh, of Scotland, um, you know, a relatively slow burn lifelong ambition is to complete uh, the, the list of Monroe's, uh, that there are the 3,000 feet or more peaks in Scotland. There's, there's just over 280 uh, of them. But, but being there reminds you of your own insignificance. There's a lot of physical and mental challenge to get to something that seems so high. But when you get there, you're rewarded normally with a view unless you're experiencing some inclement Scottish weather, which does happen quite a lot. But, but when it doesn't, it's amazing. And it's just stunning. And it's 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 great country to be in and around. But, but I think re resilience for me is, is about knowing that you've, you have had those experiences. You know, I had a, a very interesting experience when I summited uh, Mont Blanc uh, in 2012. Um, and, and just after I'd done so, sadly, there was a tragedy on the mountain and it, and it could have been us saved for a few days. I mean, it, it was really quite stark and reminded again of the frailties of life. But, but I think knowing that you've been through experiences where you have been tested and you've come out the other side. Um, you know, I, I think about those experiences in my life quite a lot when I'm going through a tough time. And I think trying to give things a sense of perspective and inevitably given the hours that people have been working, as you mentioned earlier, again, particularly in the pandemic, I think it's easy to get very tunnel visioned around the problem of the day, the week or the month and lose perspective on other things that are important. And, and putting a problem in a sense of perspective is really helpful from a resilience piece. Um, you know, yes, there were tough times for me during the pandemic and um, some personal challenges, helping my kids through education, you know, supporting the family and others as much as I could. Uh, but relative to so many, sadly too many, uh, we were fine. And so, you know, we would talk a lot as a family about the relativity of our situation and and actually the, what we could do to support and help perhaps uh, other people. So, so I think that sense of perspective uh, is really important uh, to support resilience, as well as calling on and thinking about times when you've been challenged and you have come out the other side. And, you know, Winston Churchill was many things, but he was a, a great orator and, uh, and an author of things. You know, there's a great look when you're going through hell, keep going. Because you will come out the other side. We will come out the other side. There has to be, you know, some other side to come out to. So, so I think things like that they do keep me uh, going. They help my resilience, and uh, you know, I'll always need the help and support of others. But, but I think if you can look within and call on those things, they can be helpful. Great. No, I love it. Um, the last couple on the compass, and then we'll talk about um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about teams actually you know executive teams when you've met healthy teams and toxic teams uh, interested in that but just very quick fire brand and then legacy brand what have you uh learned from 360 feedback that you've had in yourself and legacy what would you like your legacy to be in your work and in your personal life yeah thanks Jonathan I, I, I guess over the years I've, I've done a number of personal development uh, exercises but I know you'll be very familiar with Myers Myers Biggs as a as a methodology and as a way of, uh, of, of plotting preferences personalities and behaviors and I've been a, a very consistent ENTJ over the years um and and I think when I look back, and sadly, I still hoard some documents that go back a few years, uh, hidden away in the cupboards here. But, uh, you know, if I look at some of the early uh, exercises around assessing who you are by values, behaviours, um, I would say that, you know, it was just all a bit extreme, Ian, TJ. And 
that's okay, but the, the agenda for me has been moderating that and just making it ENTJ, but no less less out there perspective and, and more rounded and, and less accentuated perspective. Mm. So, so I think you know most of, of, of the listeners to, to this series will will understand and I think be able to relate to that. But I think it, you know, for me, the practicalities around having more patience, um, you, you know, making sure that you know you do do the check question and things aren't as they seem. Um, are super important elements uh, for me. Yeah, and, and I think you know the, the second part of your question around, you know, teams as, as we're going through right now. You know, I'm working with a team, uh, a great team uh, of, of people, but in many cases, I've not been able to meet with them or connect with them personally. And that, that I have to say, is probably one of the single biggest stress for worry points for me that I haven't been able to build. Uh, you know, some of the relationship aspects. Uh, that are really, really critical foundational elements of, of, of team. Um, but despite that, you know, uh, the team respond well with, you know, working towards that collective sense of, of, of achievement and success, what that looks like, defining that and getting behind that in a unified way. And, and that's always a journey. It's always a work in progress. But, but I think, you know, centering around the team, acknowledging that there's a journey and a, and, a, and a point to walk towards around that collective collegiate objective um, is, is really, really important. And then I guess, look, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't tend to, to think too much about, you know, what is the legacy, um, but I, I guess I know enough to know that the, the, the epitaph for me, I hope is about, you know, being a decent person who did the right thing. Mm. And, 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 and I think that, those few words speak volumes. I think if people say that and mean it, um, yeah. they're never going to say, you know, he was a great payments person or financial technologist or leader of a consulting business. They're going to say that person was a good individual. And interestingly, you know, as we all have a legacy, even that we live where we change jobs or we, we do things. And, you know, I always get a bit humbled by if, if you have a significant thing to say or point to make and you make it on social media, like LinkedIn, for example, um, the endorsements or comments that you get from people way back in your career history, I think it's always quite a telling one for me mm. because they'll generally, people will generally do that because you've done something positive or you've been part of a positive experience. And I think if you, you know, if you can evidence that with, with colleagues past and present, um, that that's quite that's quite a good living epitaph, if you will, uh, of your brand and, and what you bring. Brilliant. So the last two, uh, as we come towards the end. Um, firstly, um, favourite book and why you choose that one, and then we then do we'll step into the two minute top tip, where I'd ask you to introduce yourself again, uh, and and the role you do, and then what your tip would be, because that can stand on its own as well as part of this. So, Seamus, firstly, the book, and why would you recommend that particular book? Well, I mentioned earlier, Jonathan, that I, I do like to read. Um, you know, it's part of being a keen student. Uh, and, and I came across a read over Christmas that uh, I think I've been given a while back. I tend to play catch up with books that I've been given, but I do enjoy doing that. And um, I came across a book by Carl Honore, and it's called In Praise of Slow. And it's basically an antithesis on, you know, doing everything as quickly as possible. And, and, and it talks to um, the philosophy that Gandhi had, which is there's more to life than speeding it up. And, uh, and also exacerbated for me by a comment I heard, uh, and I think it was in a slightly um, 
tangential a leadership lecture that I was sitting in on and, and, and I think the the lecturer was the uh, chief rabbi or, or, or number two and he was talking about leadership and he said uh, about leadership in business that you know he hears a lot about uh, people hitting the ground running um, whereas actually he thought that leaders should start on their hands and knees and go real slow and just make sure that they check validate and understand uh, what they want to achieve and and the impact of their actions in trying to achieve it. And, and, and the whole book is a very interesting reflection and, and a challenge actually to some of how we live our lives today, which is, you know, we're doing things super quick. Uh, there's a just-in-time mentality. There's a, I want it now philosophy. And, and sometimes that's not in our best interest or the interest of others. And, and I think, you know, it's good to reflect on, you know, uh, not reading a book about how to do things even quicker, uh, but, but actually challenging that notion of speed is everything because in some cases it's not. And particularly when the consequences of what you do, what you're leading, what you're trying to create will quite significantly impact people's lives and livelihoods. Um, and as a leader, I think you've got an obligation to reflect and just make sure that you're making the right decisions at the right time. Brilliant. So Seamus, uh, we'll do the now the, the top tip with your introduction. And then when we finish recording, stay on the line, we'll have a chat just at the end. But would you introduce yourself again and share what your top tip is and, and why you chose that? Hi, Jonathan. I'm Seamus Smith, and I have the privilege of being Chief Executive Officer of JDX Consulting. We are a leading global financial services consulting business, delivering solutions for investment banks, financial market infrastructure, and technology enablement. We do that in the US and Europe and in Singapore. Um, my top tip on leadership, well, it's really comprised of two components. One is being authentic, uh, and the second one is having empathy. Uh, authenticity for me starts with knowing yourself, being true to yourself and your values, knowing what you're strong at and, and, and have great strengths in, but also understanding, being open and honest about your development areas and what you're working on as a leader. And I think authenticity, particularly in today's highly visible world, is a really important character trait for, for leaders. Little that you can hide behind as a leader today. Because if people want to find out or know things about you, they will. Uh, and therefore, staying authentic and true is, is very important. And then secondly, empathy. Leadership's a team sport. And understanding the needs, the wants, the motivations uh, of others is so, so important. You're going to demonstrate empathy, uh, being able to adjust your leadership style to connect with, resonate and support others is really important. So if you're authentic and you have empathy, I think those are great foundational points for leadership success. Fantastic. Well, Seamus Smith, thank you very much indeed for being on the Inspiring Leadership series. Uh, as I knew you would be, you were utterly inspiring and uh, humble, but yet uh, shared an awful lot, which I, I'll take away and know that others will do. Thank you very much indeed. My pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you very much. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good 
to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.